Amen. Well, good evening to you. And to those of you who know uh, Brian and Kate Hoffman and the cops, greetings from them. I uh, have a lot of interaction with both of those sets of people, so they say hi. All right. So there, I pass that on. Handiest to do it as a group setting, always is. Um, so uh, to start off, just wondering how many of you have been affected by gossip? Someone has told something about you and passed it on uh, or invented something and, and it, entirely untrue or some basis in truth. You're not, you know, it, it doesn't matter, but somehow affected by gossip. Uh, gossip has gone around. Okay. We've all been affected by gossip. Wanted to uh, start out and uh, int- my uh, brother Neil, I didn't tell him I was going to say this, but anyway, <laughs> had a, yeah, I have permission now. Um, a, a, uh, Luke goes down to school and has friends down in a town called Athai. For a long time, you know, Luke's friends down in Athai didn't really know Neil at all. And, you know, Neil was the only the one who stepped out of the car and waved Luke ready to go. And so from Luke decided to share with others, not sure why, but that Neil knew karate and that Neil was quite intimidating. So Neil would get out of the car, not necessarily smiling when, you know, you don't have to smile all the time. So, you know, thinking, you just get out of the car, time to go. He's on the other side of 15, already shaving, six inches taller than all of Luke's friends. And now, you know, so Luke's friends had this impression of Neil as being this very rough, mean guy that, uh, you know, knew karate and could take any of them. So for a long time, it affected their interaction with Neil. And it took a while for them to realize that Neil is very easygoing and probably wouldn't get in a fight. Even if, you know, the situation demanded it, he, yeah, it's okay, just back off. Um, but there, there is something that I'd, I'd like to address. Uh, that, that's a humorous illustration you know, of, of people talking in a way that's not funny. Uh, 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 talking in a way that's, you know, is, is immaterial. It, you know, it, it's, it's not a big deal. But people speak about God in a certain way that's not true, and it affects our understanding and their interaction with God. And I want to walk through that, okay? And it's, about, it's to do with God's judgment. And when I first of all say God's judgment, what's your first reaction? It's like, oh, can't be talking about judgment. We've had such a happy night. We've had favorites. We've had blessings. And now we're talking about judgment. Judgment if, that, if your reaction is that judgment is a bad thing or that, that it's hell and brimfire and we have to all hold on to the, the pew and endure this until the end, you have a wrong impression of what judgment is and what, who God is in his judgment. So I'd like to just walk through some of the Bible instances of judgment and see what God has to say about his own judgment and uh, come to that and come to biblical conclusions in as many ways as we can. Uh, so let's just open in prayer. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you'd open our eyes at this time to your reality of judgment and how the Father acts and, Lord, how it is truly loving and merciful. And we trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had the statement made to you, there's, there's two gods in the Bible. There's, there's the angry God of the Old Testament and there's the loving God of the New Testament. I like the loving God of the New Testament, but I don't like the angry God. Something along those lines. Have you heard people say things like that? I've had people say that to me. 
I like, I like the, the loving God, but I don't like that angry God in the Old, in the old Testament where, you know, he's, he, how can you talk about genocide, wiping out whole, all people just because they're a certain nation? That's just wrong. Can't, that's, that's not right. And that part of the Bible, I don't like at all, but I like the loving part. And they're, they're separating, putting a division where there is no division. God is the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the same God. He's the same loving God in the Old Testament. He's the same judging God in the New Testament. And we need to remember that, have that right in our own minds, and be ready to give an answer to people who have that wrong impression, who've listened to gossip about God. Uh, so that is, is where I'd like to go today. So let's, if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse uh, 16. We're going to... Go through a few instances where there's judgment and uh, see, see if there's any characteristics that we can ex- extract and see, see what's going on. So just after creation, God's put man in the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man in chapter, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, uh, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so God puts man in the garden. He gives him everything that he could possibly want. You know, more than just what he needs. He didn't say, there's, there's potatoes. You may eat potatoes. You may not eat anything else to enjoy yourself, just potatoes. He said, you can eat anything you want, except for this tree. There's just one. You can't eat from this tree. You can eat everything else. So God gave him wonderful enjoyment and, and pleasure and, and right and proper ways, and but he says, here's a boundary. Don't don't cross this boundary. Okay. So now let's let's turn over to. Um, oh, and he also he 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 says, at the end of verse 17, there in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So what's the consequence if if Adam eats of the fruit? He will. Okay. So does Adam know what the boundary is? Does he know what the consequence is? Okay, so let's go over to chapter 3 and verse 6, starting in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And it goes on, and, and God comes looking for Adam and says uh, in verse 8, um, in, verse nine, uh, uh, in verse 9, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? The man said, The woman thou gavest to me, she gave to me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? So we go then into the interaction with the... Uh, Adam, the woman, and the snake with regards to what were they doing. And God judges them. And God puts them out of the garden. Adam and Eve are are put away from the the tree of of life in case they eat of it and live forever. He also put put an angel there with a flaming sword. It's pretty intimidating when you think about that. You know, just to guard it so that they couldn't get it. Sounds like a judgment, doesn't it? It is a judgment. God judged man for sin. Okay? 
is this the, the most painful and worst thing that could have happened? Is it? No. Okay. If you're talking about, uh, about harsh judgment, couldn't God have, have, have lacerated them, have separated their limbs? God being infinite could have caused incredible torment to them immediately. He stopped them from eating from the tree of life so that they wouldn't live forever. Why would that be a bad thing? Why would it be a bad thing for them to live forever after having eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I'm going to get you to think a little bit and answer back. They were in sin. What if they had... Could you imagine living forever in this body? In this body that you have right now that is so tempted towards all the things of, of sin and, and it, it w- would embrace sin at every opportunity that you let it. Could you imagine God had let Adam and Eve eat of the tree of life and that they were still alive today, immortal in that flesh that was drawn to sin? Oh, that would be horrible. Forever doomed to be linked to the body of sin. So God shows mercy by putting an angel there. Doesn't he? Isn't isn't that a merciful thing for God to put the the angel there to guard them from that tree of life? Yes? So being cast out of the garden, although it it was a judgment, it was also mercy. So God shows mercy in that. Um... And that's, that's um, let's see what else. Um, and connected in this is, is, a, is a wonderful promise. If you go to verse uh, 15 of chapter 3, we'll read this together. And I will put enmity between thee, talking about the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, just reading this passage in Genesis, it, you wouldn't come up with this necessarily, but Revelation tells us that old serpent, the devil. So we learn that this serpent had the devil working behind him, and God was addressing Satan at this point, that the woman's seed would crush his head. Now, everywhere else in the Bible, that the, the Bible talks about seed, it's always the man's seed. But when it's a woman's seed, it's talking about the virgin birth. We just celebrated Christmas. The wo- seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God here, while he's pronouncing judgment, while he's saying, you're going you're to multiply your conception, you're going to have pain and, and sorrow, your desire is going to be towards your husband, and I'm going to send the Messiah. In the same breath, God says, I'm going to send the Messiah. So, you think, well, wouldn't it be great to be in the garden? I mean, absolutely be great to be in the garden. I mean, wouldn't it be great to live forever? It wouldn't be great, too great to live forever in, these, in, the, in the sin bodies that we have right now. So, hang on a second. Let's, let's look at it. And then, what if I had to live forever in a sin body and never had the Messiah, never had redemption? Boy, that would be a pretty dismal eternity, wouldn't it? Forever stuck in a sin body and never able to be redeemed. And yet God, in this act of judgment, in the, at the moment of the fall, when he's passing judgment, says, this is my plan, I will redeem. And so God, with his judgment, shows mercy. 
that's the God that we serve. And we're going to look at some other one, uh, instances throughout the Bible, but get the point. God, in judgment, shows mercy. Every time, God shows mercy. Um, next, let's turn to Genesis chapter 13. And I'm going to read a comment on two cities. And be introduced to a little bit of narrative here. Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. This is right after Abraham and Lot, or Abram and Lot decided to separate. Uh, verse 12 says, Abraham dwell, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his t- tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So here's this place that's Sodom. It's wicked exceedingly. It's very, 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 very wicked. It's, it, you know, the, the, the boundaries of wicked, it go, flows over. Uh, so let's, and we, we know that Lot is, is heading that direction. So turn now to chapter 18. <clears throat> and when I say the names Sodom and Gomorrah, we, ha- we have a, a, a word for a sin that's directly associated, derived from this city. Sodomy is derived from this term. That's how wicked this place was. And, you know, so we, we, we have a name for a sin coming from the city. Uh, Genesis chapter 18. God here is having, uh, actually having lunch with, with Abraham. And in verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I'll go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men who were with uh, the angel, uh, those men who they were angels, um, turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So the angels go off and God says, the cry of Sodom's come up before me. I'm going to investigate. Now, we know if if I say Sodom and Gomorrah, what's going to happen at the end of the story? What happens to Sodom and Gomorrah at the end of the story? Joshua. It gets burned up with fire and brimstone. God sends down fire and brimstone on it, absolutely, and it's destroyed. We know that, don't we? Okay, so what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? They are judged, yes? All right. What does verse 20 and 21 show us about God in this judgment? He checked it out first. He didn't just say, right, that's it, and send fire and brimstone, did he? No, we have a a, a period of time between this has come to a point where it needs to be investigated and here's the point where I wipe them out. Yes, do you see that? That God is showing mercy and justice in the way he's approaching. He doesn't just fly off the hand and say, right, that's it, you're gone. He deliberately and carefully investigates before he passes judgment. And then, um, here, here's, here's a wonderful thing about God. Wonderful thing. You see this. Uh, there, there's, there's other instances with Moses, but we're going to walk through this with Abraham because it's in this context about what God does. Uh, so, uh, verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
per adventure there be 50 within the city, wilt thou destroy it, not spare the place for, 50, for the 50 righteous that are therein? What does Abraham begin to do in this verse? He begins to beg or pray or intercede, doesn't he? And he says, God, would you really destroy Sodom if, if there were 50 righteous people in there? Would you, would you do that? And um, uh, he gives a reason, verse 25, that it be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And our answer is, well, yes, of course the judge of all the earth do right. shall do right. Verse 26, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within that city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now, Catch what's going on here. Did God have to tell Abraham that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah? No. God could have just sent the angels to find to investigate. He could have recorded in, in Scripture. And God held a court in heaven and said, The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before me. Go and investigate to see if there's wickedness there, if it's as bad as it is. And send two angels. He didn't have to involve Abraham. What did Abraham do as soon as God told him? He started praying. Well, if God involved Abraham in this, do you th- don't you think God knew that Abraham would start praying when he told him this? Now, you see this with Moses just the same. God's up there on the mountain. Moses is up there with him. And Israel does wickedness with the golden calf. And starts. And, and God says, I'll destroy them. You go down, I'll make a nation out of you. You go down. And what's Moses' immediate reaction? He starts to intercede as well. Well, God didn't have to tell Moses before that he was going to do this. And you'll find this is a pattern with God. He informs so that there's an opportunity either for intercession on, so that we can intercede for someone else or that they can repent. We can repent ourselves if we're the ones in, in deserving of judgment or we can intercede for those who are, are, are going to get the judgment next. So God did this with Abraham and Abraham keeps praying. He says, would you for, would you for uh, 45? You wouldn't destroy it for just a lack of five, would you? And uh, what if there were just 30? And what if there were just 20? And he says, finally, in verse 32, uh, oh, no, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet this, but once, peradventure, there be ten found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Now the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. So Abraham had secured Sodom's safety if Lot and his wife and his at least three daughters that he knew of and potentially their husbands and just two more people. If Lot had a righteous family and had won over the sons-in-laws and had won two more people, that was, I, I see Abraham's calculating that way. I'm not sure that Abraham was. I can't say that's from the Bible. But I can see Abraham calculating that way. I know there was at least this many. And you know, Lot's servants as well. Let's count them. Let's hope there's at least, t- I, at least 10. I can see 10 there. And so he interceded down to that point so that the whole city could have been spared. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that they didn't find 10 righteous there. 
That's, that's sad state of, of humanity. It's, it's a statement of who we are. Is that Lot, when, even when he knew this was coming, he didn't, he didn't stand up and shout. Uh, he, he didn't have the platform to say, you're doing wrong. God's going to judge. Follow me. He didn't have that platform. He'd lived a life. He was just, uh, I believe it's Peter tells us, I could be wrong on that, but just Lot vexed his righteous soul. And there's, there's Lot, he's, he's a good man, he's a, a righteous man, but he kept it quiet, he kept it all to himself. The angels say there's judgment coming, and God does answer Abraham's intercession that he didn't even ask, Lord, would you save Lot? God reaches down and he takes Lot and whatever of his family would follow and takes them out. That's mercy that God didn't have to show. God was going to destroy the whole city and Lot shouldn't have been there. Being there, he should have been speaking up. He wasn't. God said, I will spare Lot and he draws Lot out. And there's a sad end to Lot's life and a sad statement. But I want you to see God's mercy. Every step of the judgment horrific judgment that God has to send on a city because it's so wicked. God said, I'll investigate first. I'll tell my prophet who will pray to me. I'll, I'll warn Lot, the just man who's living there. And I'll, I'll, I'll spare Lot if he, he can. And every step along the way, there's mercy and opportunity to repent. And it's not taken. Do you know how you end up in judgment? You end up in judgment by refusing the mercy of God. That's how every single person ends up in judgment, by refusing and pushing against the mercy of God. And that's, uh, that's where Sodom and Gomorrah ended up. Um, here's the question. What about the Canaanites? What about the Canaanites? God sent Israel. He took Israel out of Egypt and he leads them through the desert for a while. And then he's sending them in and he says, I want you to wipe out every single one of them. Not a one of them is to stand. You, you wipe out the women, the children. Everyone goes. You destroy their, uh, all of their animals. I don't want anything left. You, 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 you can keep some for a spoil, but you, you destroy every living person. I don't want you following their gods. Wipe them out. Now, genocide is a word we've invented in the 20th century because that, that was what was happening uh, we had wars against people on the basis of their race and uh, saying, you're not worthy to live because you are such and such a race. We have the Holocaust as an example of that, where Jews were exterminated en masse, where gypsies were exterminated. Because of your race, you are exterminated. Okay, so that, we seen it in the Holocaust, our world says, well, that was wicked. It can never happen again. We can't let that happen again. Uh, we have uh, trouble down in the, uh, the Baltic area, and the, you know the genocides there, and there's there's mass graves at, at different points, and in wars with, um, I hope we got the country right, but uh, along the west western, along the eastern coast of Africa, and even along the west, there, there's different times when uh, there, there's tribal type things just wipe them out, and the, and the, we 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 react, and there's the UN, and they're intervening, and genocide is wrong, and then you read the Bible, and wipe out all the. Amorites. Not one of them is to live. And we, our society has said, now hang on, genocide is wrong. Genocide can't be right. And yet this God of the Old Testament, this angry God, this wrathful God, 
is saying to wipe out a whole race of people just because of who they are? That can't be right. That must be, that must be someone else coming in and writing that in to, to give them an excuse because they hated those people. That's not, that, that's not the God of, of the New Testament. That's not the loving, kind God of the New Testament. Let me first have you turn to Genesis 15, 16. We're still in the area. Genesis 15, 16. Here God is making a promise to, to uh, Abraham. And he's saying, I'm, I'm going I'm to raise of you a nation. Abraham, you are going to be a nation. And I'm going to send them down and they're going to serve another nation. And I will judge that nation afterward. They'll come out with a great substance in verse 15. Um, uh, uh, I shall go to thy fathers in peace, and, they shall, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You know, this is about 500 years before, uh, maybe even 600 years before, God sent Joshua in to wipe out all the Amorites. Now, if I told you, you know, in 20 years, I expect to have a family and I'm going to punish my son. You know, that, that's, that's a lot of, of leeway time, isn't it? You know, if he doesn't repent, I'm going to punish my son in 20 years. That's a long time, but five, six hundred years? God says the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. So God was measuring. And, oh, well, they didn't know. They didn't know what was right and wrong. Romans 1 tells us that everybody, every culture initially knows what God, who God is, has conscience, and refuses the light of that conscience and says, no, I don't want to worship the true God. I'm going to invent my own God to worship. And you say, that culture, oh, you know, the, 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 those poor people, they've never heard about Jesus. Well, maybe we should speak up and let them know about Jesus is one thing. But second to that, they did know. Way back there, great, 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 great grandfathers knew. Everybody came from Noah and his three sons. This generation of people, Abraham's father could have spoken to Shem, Ham, or Japheth. They overlapped. So that level of connection... Yes, we saw the whole world wiped out by a massive flood because men didn't obey God. Because men did the wickedness, every wickedness that was in their heart. And Jehovah, the one true God, wiped out all of creation and started afresh with our families. That level of interaction, the Amorites had refused. And they were heading down a path that eventually would get their great, 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 great grandchildren destroyed. And they were setting the course, they had set the course away from God and towards idolatry in such wicked and vile and harsh ways that when you read about it, it's, it's questionable material. Just in, in archaeological magazines, it's, it's not pretty at all. Even in the most clinical way you can describe it, it's horrid. And that's who the Amorites were. And that's when, when God said, I want you to wipe out every single one of them, Joshua. Joshua will wipe out every single one of them and... Well, all of a sudden, genocide? No, this has, been, this has been stirring for 600 years. They had the light, they refused it, and they earned their own judgment after God waiting for so long for them to repent. You know about Nineveh? 
Nineveh was also a wicked city. You remember the, the short book of Jonah? I'm going to have you, I uh, won't have you turn there for time's sake, but uh, Jonah initially when he gets, gets the command from God, go to Nineveh. Jonah gets on a boat to go the other way. He goes to Tarshish because he doesn't want to preach to Nineveh. Why doesn't he want to preach to Nineveh? He gets to Nineveh eventually after going through via the whale or the, the great fish and he gets to Nineveh and he, he says repent. Uh, he doesn't even say repent. He says 40 days and the Lord will judge Nineveh. That is not an offer of hope, is it? 40 days the Lord will judge Nineveh. That's, that's bad news. So the king hears this and he says, everybody, sackcloth and ashes, nobody eat, nobody drink, and maybe God will be, show mercy to us. And they all get down and they pray and they stop their wickedness and they cast themselves on God's mercy and God shows mercy. Do you realize that the mercy of God is always, always intertwined with his judgment? And that people are pushing against his mercy to get to judgment. That's what the God that we serve. He is merciful in the judgment that he sends. <clears throat> um, I could walk you through uh, Israel and Judah. They had uh, the, the, the Mount of Blessing, the Mount of Curse, and they stood up and, and Moses read out the, the, the blessings and they say, uh, we'll do this. And the, uh, Moses read out the curses and said, uh, uh, you know, that the curses be upon them. And the curses involved being kicked out of the land. The curses involved all these harsh things. And they agreed. And they said, and God said, don't serve idols. Don't follow the ways of the nations. You know, it doesn't take but 400 years. Um, and they're heading down that path. Okay. Even in the times of the judges, they're, they're up and down, up and down, up and down. And they get through, pretty much once they get through Solomon, it's downhill from there. Straight away with the northern kingdom. But God still waits 200 years before he kicks the northern kingdom out. Waits uh, about 400 years before kicking Judah out. And I want you to see this. Turn to uh, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah had a harsh ministry. He had to tell people over and over again something they didn't want to hear. He got thrown in prison. He got beaten. He, you know, all sorts of things happened to him. And he, he's, he's a, a prophet, and he, he's right at the end of Judah's ministry. Uh, Judah's uh, life uh, span and his, 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 uh, his message is basically surrender. Give up. God has sent Nebuchadnezzar. Give up. Surrender. God, this is God's judgment. Give in. I mean, imagine that hearing that to our nation. You know, um, China has come to invade us and, and we have a prophet going around saying, give up. Give in. Just surrender to China. You wouldn't want to just give up. You don't want to just do that. And well, that was, that was Jeremiah's message. You just give up. Give up your national sovereignty. Give in. Be slaves. Be taken away to a different land. So that's his message. And he, he went through all sorts of trouble for it. But you know what God's message is after everything? After, after, after going through that? Um, uh, Jeremiah 29, starting verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. 
And God's saying, I'll restore relationship. I'll bring you back. That's the plan that I have for you. But you have to go through this judgment first. And that even when he had to visit judgment, he gave away of, of, of restoration. That was, that was his combined with it. Uh, where are we at? Okay. Hmm. Building off that, um, you can turn there. You don't have to. I'm turning to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah having a similar ministry uh, to Jeremiah. But God, after chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, which is woe to these people, woe to these people, woe to these people. Uh, the message that God gives through Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 1 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The ultimate mercy act that is combined with every judgment that God points to is Calvary. That I will send Christ. Speak comfortably to them because it's, it's over. The judgment's over. I'm going I'm to send Christ. It's time for restoration. It's time for you to be reconciled to me. I'm sending Jesus. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus took our judgment on him. Who didn't deserve it. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God is just. And he judges. But he doesn't judge off the handle. He doesn't just it react and destroy nations for no reason. He first sends witness and he investigates and he takes time. And then when they refuse to repent and refuse to repent, then he destroys nations. You know, it's the same with people. It's, 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 not, it's not the first time that someone refuses the it's not the person that never hears the gospel and, and, they, and they, they, they were just generally a moral person and wanted to know God, but just their life was cut short by a tragic accident. Really, do we, do we know of any story that actually matches up to those criteria? Do, do we not know more of, well, I witnessed to them this time and I witnessed to them this time and I witnessed to them this time. And I know if he, you know, he witnessed to her and oh, it just, they never, they never trusted Christ. Isn't that more the, the testimony that we have of those who have, have missed the opportunity? It's not because God has not been merciful to them. It's that they've refused his mercy. And when someone comes up to you and says, oh, I, I don't like that angry God of the Old Testament. Say, that's the God you're going to face. But he's loving right now and gives you the opportunity to repent. Whether you like him or not is irrelevant. He is who he is. Know who he is and trust in him today. That's the response we should have. No, don't be, never be embarrassed that God commanded genocide. He, he commanded genocide because it was just. And it was after such a long time of, of forbearance 
and patience that he, he had to bring judgment. That was the time and he brought it. What are we to do with it? Well, first, if, if you... Uh, now, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But we do deserve chastening be times if we're children. And if we are children deserving chastening, do you know what? Repent. It's not, it's not rocket science. If, you know, if you're a child deserving, you know, repent. Get right. It's not the judgment of, of hell that, that we're facing if you've trusted in Christ because he has taken all that. But if you are under chastening, repent. If you do stand today as an individual and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never trusted in him as your way, your, your, your replacement in your judgment, trust in him today. Because otherwise you're still facing the judgment that you rightly deserve. What then about if you're not under chastening and you have trusted Christ for, for salvation, you, you, do, you don't deserve chastening, what, what, do we, what do we do then? Ezekiel 22.30, I want you all to turn there. Largely because I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You know what? If you know about judgment coming, we have the, we have the opportunity like Abraham, like Moses. God says, I'm going to have to judge this person, this group, this nation, this continent. If God communicates that, and we're aware that judgment is coming for them, we have the opportunity, number one, to ask God to show mercy. Because God can show mercy when people ask. And it, it's, it's, it's like, if, if someone will ask for mercy, mercy can be shown. But mercy isn't just bestowed, just thrown around. God wants someone to ask for mercy, either the person themselves, or someone else can ask on their behalf. And it's a really encouraging study. If you ever go through the miracles, Jesus' miracles, look at the people who asked for healing for themselves, and then look at the people who asked for healing for someone else. And it's as if both are just as effective, but sometimes the person couldn't even ask for forgiveness or couldn't ask for healing for themselves. They couldn't get there. Do you know people who can't even, aren't even seeing the gospel? They're the people you need to pray that they would be able to see the gospel. Because you can't trust Christ for them. But you can ask God to open their eyes. You can intercede for them to, to, to have the light to see. And uh, that's our responsibility. Be the person who stands in the gap for that person, for that, uh, for that group, for that, that, that nation. Stand in the gap. And Second uh, Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's actually written about saved people. Knowing that saved people, you know, other children of God, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade them to act right. But it's also our responsibility to speak up to the unsaved as well. They're facing God's wrath. So a ministry of intercession and a ministry of warning is our responsibility because God's judgment is real. That's what we must do. If you need to repent, repent. But if you've already repented... Be interceding and be warning. Pastor.